Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. What's up, everyone? This is the Mary Jane Experience. I'm Strawberry Sequoia here with Michael Brown of Eternal Hemp Farms. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks. So, Michael, I wanted to start by asking a little bit about your history and just how you ended up getting into the cannabis world. Yeah, so it's a it, it's an odd odd experience, as I think many um, cannabis entrepreneurs, or at least from those that I've talked to, have have gone through. I initially started uh, when I graduated from college. I started out as a computer programmer, and over the years, I built up my career as well as a consulting company, and um, you know, then and and in essence. Uh, transitioned into real estate uh, within the real so go, coming from technology going into real estate it was just uh, a natural fit for me because really it was all about building things it was all about you know how do you build what is the process what's rinse and repeat rinse and repeat and in both markets that when I was in technology at that point in time uh, even in real estate, there was a lot of inefficiencies. You know, there wasn't a lot of the technology in terms of project management, software, and all that stuff. So I guess I've always been attracted to industries that have a significant amount of inefficiency. Getting into cannabis was really through my partner, Ashish Katana, and I looking at, looking at deals uh, in real estate. This is when I had fully transitioned into real estate. My partner, he had always been in real estate. Um, he has done, he's, he's done a significant amount of work in, in the real estate market. And we were looking for deals within opportunity zones. And just for your audience, um, opportunity zones were created in the two, 2017 um, job, uh, Jobs Act. In essence, what they do is they provide a tax benefit for capital gains, for people that have capital gains. If you invest in a certain area, as areas that are designated as opportunity zones. So my partner and I were looking for these types of deals, these type, you know, mostly in real estate. And we started looking around and looking at the landscape and realizing that there's more opportunity within starting a business or investing in a business within these opportunity zones than within, you know, buying a multifamily deal or, or you know, building a ground up construction or something along those lines. So initially we said, all right, so what, what could we get into? What could we look at in terms of, you know, some sort of business that we could invest in, uh, you know, raise capital and invest in, or or other business that we could start ourselves. And I immediately thought of uh, vertical farming. You know, I've always been fascinated by it. Uh, I think the entire concept of the supply chain, uh, going back to that building mentality, uh, you know, there was just always something about that about the industry which I found very fascinating. Um, what we realized quite quickly was that there's a lot in vertical farming, uh, you know, to real estate slash technology guys coming from our view and then looking at vertical farming, we realized, wow, there's, there's a huge landscape out there. Um, so we delved a little deeper and 
we identified uh, that, you know, one of the lar highest margin crops out there would be cannabis. And you could do it indoors. There is an industry, et cetera. But, but still, there are a lot of inefficiency. So in kind of thinking in that realm, and serendipitously, we had uh, met a gentleman by the name of uh, Ajit and Matthew George, who runs an organization called Second Chances Farms. It is an indoor uh, farming operation, but they have a really amazing social impact. And what they do is they take returning citizens um, that have served their time, and just for the audience's understanding, returning citizens are ex-convicts, just for simplicity. But I will refer to them as attorney citizens just because I have certain personal issues with the term ex-con. Um, I think it's just disempowering. Uh, so we met Ajit and my partner Ashish and, my, and I just got to know him. We really enjoyed his, you know, enjoyed what he was doing. We thought it was just an amazing, amazing opportunity. And he randomly, uh, and I mean truly it was randomly, he said, hey, guys, you know, I'm, I'm going up for a, uh, a hemp license. You know, you think there's a business that we could do, do, do with this? And, you know, we said, absolutely. And we said, give us five days and we'll come back with a plan. And once we have that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do with it. And quite honestly, that's how I, I stumbled into actually getting into, actually getting into cannabis. Um, my, my past investments I, I was involved in a failed operation in jamaica of all places in in, in marijuana this was recreational uh, and you know i always I, I think that was kind of me wetting my beak and seeing the interest and then of course looking at hemp and looking at the lower bars of entry looking at the fact that it was part of the 2018 farm bill you know there's all these things that were just positive positive positives that were going behind it. And, uh, you know, naturally when Ajit brought it up to us, I said, this is just a total full circle of going about it and having the benefit of the social impact. You know, that really was the hook for us because we looked at it and said, you know, um, a lot of the ills in this society that we live in today are, are quite frankly, just because we are too afraid to look into the sun, meaning, the hard issues that we have to face, that we have to face, or either, um, you know, just kind of walking away from the light and, 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 and uh, you know, going into more comfort, I guess, a shady area where, you know, we, we feel more comfortable. So we saw this opportunity uh, as cannabis is really, uh, you know, reclaiming the light and looking at it from the standpoint of helping out, uh, well, I'll just summarize it in this. We believe heavily in the company that we want to do well by doing good. And that's really how we approach everything. So we get it. We love, you know, Ashish and myself are very much numbers guys. We're, we're, that's what we focus on. But if we can't have a quantifiable impact uh, uh, from this, then I think, you know, we, we've in many ways uh, failed those that have entrusted us to invest wisely. Um, in a very impactful way. So that's my roundabout story of how we got into it. I love it. I always love hearing how people get into the industry because it's always so unique and um, no exception here. So thank you for, for sharing that. And I also love that 
that it really does matter to do good. And I want to get into that a little bit more in a mm -hmm. minute. But I'm curious, because Eternal Hemp has sort of a unique concept. Can you explain to the, our listeners exactly what et Eternal Hemp does? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're a, we are a technology-driven supply, supply chain cultivator. And what, the way we define that is, is we believe we're not necessarily coming up with our newest technology or things like that. I mean, being in technology for over 15 years, I, I realized that there's rarely a new innovation. It's really just an assemblage of different technologies that create a new innovation, right? So what we do in Internal Hemp is we look for the best um, growing systems, platforms, processes, et cetera, within the vertical agriculture space, as well as we look at the different tools and utilities um, within the agriculture space that we can fit together. And in essence, what we do is taking that uh, and then looking at it from more of a contract grower standpoint and saying, okay, we'll take kind of the best and the brightest uh, technology that we have within vertical, vertical growing, and then we're going to provide you a consistent solution for the supply chain. One of the things from just talking with people in the industry, the main complaint I've heard, the main issue, the main hurdle, and quite frankly, uh, what I believe, the main thing, the thing that is holding the industry back, or one of the things, because I think there's many, but the thing that's holding the industry back is, is a consistent, reliable supply chain. And I'll put it to you in the sense of, if you think of um, water as a utility, right? When we turn on the faucet in our homes or our buildings, you know, the water always comes there. The reason why that is, is because the supply chain of where we source that water to where it winds up has been very well thought out and there are consistent, solid, reliable players within that ecosystem. So as a simple thing with water can be applied to hemp or to marijuana or cannabis in that there's just, there seems to be at times or what we've seen throughout the industry is there's a breaking in the supply chain of what you said you're gonna deliver is what you are delivering. Yes, there are a couple companies that are doing that, but I think therein lies where the inefficiencies of the market are. And that's what we do. We do, we really try to solve this really, you know, one supply chain issue, which is the acceptance of genetics, which we're working with a handful of genetic companies that are uh, out there now, to growing it exactly the way that the client wishes, and therefore then producing it, you know, to, to the client specifications. So that's just kind of where we sit in the ecosystem. We, you know, we, we a lot of times we've had a, a, a couple companies come and ask us, oh, you know, will you do processing? Will you go further, you know, further down the, the supply chain? And we really say, you know, we're just trying to do the first thing first. And we're trying to do this really well, make something that we deliver for our clients uh, to their specifications. And then from there, we can then move on to other things. Uh, you know, but we always say, just do the first thing first and everything else comes second. Yeah, definitely. And do, you know, what you do the best instead of trying to do 45 things. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Um, so getting back to how eternal hemp is giving back, um, mm -hmm. 
I want to talk a little more about the the in social impact initiatives and how you have returned citizens, um, how you, you know, I know you were talking about um, the prison industrial complex and how important it is for you to help stop that. And I, I'd love to expand on this. Yeah, it, it's pretty, you know, when you dive into, and I think a lot of people uh, on the surface think of the criminal system as uh, you know, I think most people see it as a failed, it's a, it's a, it's in a failed initiative. You know, we had this thing back in the eighties, uh, the war on drugs. And we see that that only really increased the amount of drugs that were out there. It over, uh, capitalized certain, um, you know, law enforcement agencies and, and the results are kind of mixed. But I would say in a situation like this, these are the types of things in terms of uh, um, the drug proliferation, I think, you know, these are things where you, you don't, the mixed results are not a good thing. You want to kind of have a, you know, a yes or more black or white to just some degree. Um, so I think, so with us, when we started looking at and we met with Second Chances Farms and looking at the prison problem, we noticed naturally, um, just in case your, your listeners don't, don't know, I'm an African-American male. And my partner is an Indian American man. And then Ajit Matthew George, he's an Indian American as well. And really, we noticed quite quickly uh, through the tutelage, uh, in many ways through Ajit, and then of course our own um, research, we realized uh, empirically how much, uh, you know, the, 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 how much the war on drugs the prison industrial complex has disproportionately affected um, black and brown men and women uh, across the board. And, you know, now coupling that with cannabis, the, the, the worst thing I would say, or the embarrassment, the stain on the industry is quite frankly that a, uh, a plant that was deemed as illegal is now legal in many states. Yet those that were accused of having this plant, possessing it for their own use, or 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 even selling it at a moderate level, um, are are in jail for tens of years. You know, disproportionately to what the effect of this plant is. So, really looking at all of that, really looking at you know, hearing some very hard stories. Um, we have a gentleman that works uh, for us. He he has spent 25 years in jail. He was growing uh, marijuana, and uh, he spent 25 years in jail in both federal and local uh, for growing marijuana. I mean, you know, when asked, when I asked him kind of how much he was growing, he would tell me he's like a couple hundred pounds a year. And, you know, that, that's, that just makes no sense to us. Like a couple hundred pounds. I'm not saying that he was not breaking the law at that time. I just want to be very clear about this. He was breaking the law at that time. But this purport, that, the, the, the sentence that came down on him, 25 years for a couple hundred pounds, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So really in looking at that, in looking at at where we see the biggest issues in our society and, and really looking at it from a standpoint of what can we solve? We said, you know, we could solve 
this one problem. And this problem, if you think of it as inputs and outputs, so the inputs are, are uh, a person's circumstances and or mindset that got them into, that, that prompted them to do an illegal act and therefore got them into jail, right? That's the inputs, right? You grew up, you grew up maybe poor or you grew up with addiction issues or you grew up, uh, you know, in, in, with the wrong crowd, made some bad decisions. You know, those things will get you into uh, the prison, the prison industrial uh, system, right? The outputs are, well, what happens when you, what happens when you come out? Right. And what, what is that? What does that look like? Um, you can assume there is some mental mental issues that come along with that. There's there's trust issues. There's self, you know, there's self-esteem issues. There's, there's a, a variety of things that go into the outputs that will naturally affect uh, that local community. And both the inputs and the outputs have a significant amount of weight on the local community. Right. Uh, 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 you know, someone that's 18 gets taken out of their home and then put into jail, that is naturally going to affect the surrounding community, right? The, the, but what will affect the surrounding community even more is when that person comes out and does not have the opportunity to reconstruct their life. And in particular, if they have served their time, They've done what has been required of their crime. Um, and now what, what happens to them? And so we looked at it and said, well, the biggest input that impact that we could have is on the outputs, right? Is on affecting what happens in the outputs. When someone leaves prison, what can we do to help them resurrect uh, a semblance or, or to construct a life that is, that is um, fitting for someone who has paid their dues, someone that has done what they were supposed to do and now is part of society again. And so with, you know, with partnering with Second Chances and, and, and uh, us looking at this as, uh, you know, as, a, as a way in which we can utilize what disproportionately has been a, a uh, avalanche of, I would say, sentences off of this plant, cannabis, um, we can utilize this plant to help other people. And so we kind of married the two and said, you know, we're only going to do um, cannabis. And all of our farmers are going to be a part of this ecosystem. And the way that we've looked at this is saying, well, of the outputs, we know that we have mental health. We somehow, some, there are some mental health issues that we need to address, and we're addressing them. We know full well there's an employment issue, which has which employment really really factors in self-esteem. It factors in kind of self-worth. It factors in just a lot of you know how do you when you look in the mirror, how do you feel about yourself? So we can address those issues. We knew full well that that there was a certain amount of knowledge that that a lot of these people that were directly affected by the war on drugs they had, and they can naturally. Um, enhance the product and the project by by contributing knowledge. There's another gentleman I'm thinking of right now. He was in jail for, I think, 15 years. It was for uh, uh, growing as well. Uh, and, you know, when when we started our first harvest, the amount of knowledge that we have that, that is in, encapsulated in this one human being is phenomenal, 
we have an agronomist, Matt Brewer, who uh, just came onto the team. He's done growing throughout the world. Throughout the world, he currently lives in Guatemala, actually. Um, and you know, when he met this gentleman, his name is John. He, when he met John, it was, you know, he was like, "This guy is amazing." He's like, "This guy should have my job," and you know, and we laughed, we joked about it. He said, "You know, that's funny that you say that because, um, you know, in any other situation, people would look at John and just say." Well, you know, what, what's John's value? And to us, John has immense amounts of value. I mean, not just from the standpoint of what he can do to the bottom line of the business, but for what he can do in terms of talking with other people, educating, providing more skills. Because just because we happen to be growing a crop, uh, uh, hemp, uh, at the current time, we, we're currently growing hemp, it does not mean that these things would not have some sort of effect on other vertical farming on understanding how to get in H HVAC services, electric services, plumbing, you know, et cetera. A lot of these skills you need when you're working in a vertical farm because yes, it is a fairly sterile, sterile environment. The reality is there's a lot of things that go that, that happen throughout the day. So, you know, to kind of circle back, I mean, the way that we looked at our impact was, you know, really looking at you know, trying to solve these outputs. And, and what we said is we said we needed to do more even within that. We needed to provide an opportunity for true independence because the thing that we cannot have is we cannot have the recycling of this revolve, the recycling of people going in and out of jail. And the way that we could do that is yes, through mental health, but it's also through equity. And this is what is the most unfortunate thing uh, that has happened through this war on drugs. Certain people have profited um, and others, quite frankly, have not. And the reason being is that there's equity within those that have, prof uh, have profited and there's none, no equity within, within those that have not. So we have created an employee uh, share, uh, uh, sharing program in which our returning citizens will receive a portion of the profits after investors have been, after investors have been uh, paid back. So this is even before we as the principals get paid. Our, our returning citizens will receive a portion of the profits, up to 10% of the profits um, after they have been with us for a year. So now we're creating equity. So now we're creating that, you know, you as a person who might've had one course of action in their life, you now have the chance to directly affect your economic status within this business. And again, we're not teaching you things or skills that are not transferable. There is, you know, in a vertical farm for, for all, any of your listeners that might not know that there's a significant amount of regiments that go, go through and process that has to happen. Right, there's a significant amount of checks and balances that have to happen in order for you to have a successful growth. And so we're really instilling in these, in these individuals, and, and all of them are just amazingly great, unbelievably loyal, considering the fact that we went through a pandemic, we were deemed an essential service, we could remain open. Everyone showed up to work. Everyone showed up to work and they showed up with a smile because they knew full well that their effort was directly correlated to their equity, and their equity was directly correlated to them moving beyond their current position. And so 
that's kind of how we've thought about it. We've tried to be very thoughtful in incorporating or inclusion of the returning citizens into um, the business decision making. You know, when we're now in the process of gaining a, a handful of additional um, contract rows that we're going to be doing uh, for some genetics companies I mentioned before. Um, so, you know, we're, they're involved in, in understanding what the strains are, knowing what the process is going to be, defining the process. So we really have incorporated, you know, they're not just employees, you know, that's, they're, they're more than that to us because we see that, unfortunately, as I said before, those that had equity, uh, you know, received a significant portion of the quote unquote spoils versus those that did, that did not. Um, and therein lies, I think, a lot of why we find ourselves in this current moment of the world, you know, with the pandemic, civil unrest, um, protests, et cetera. Um, it just came back. It all comes back down to kind of our, our core philosophy of, you know, instilling equity uh, within within our, our, our team. So. Yeah. No, that's that's so lovely what you're doing. And. You know, a lot of people think about, okay, cannabis prisoners should be released. Um, but not everybody does really fully think through the reentry programs. And to be able to offer something that's not only giving you equity, but also is something that maybe you, you had a prior passion for in general and, and have some knowledge and skills and something that you can thrive in is right. pretty incredible. Um, it's, it's such an important thing you're doing. And you know, we're always talking about how this is really the biggest issue in cannabis. I mean, how can we look at ourselves as cannabis industry um, workers <laughs> um, and entrepreneurs if, if we don't directly work to solve these problems because it was never fair and it was never right. So just, um, it sounds like you guys really did think it through and that you're doing it the right way. And um, I'm so glad we got to talk about that because I, I had no idea what you were doing and it's very, very cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we're really proud of the team. I mean, you know, the one thing, there's, there's a story, um, I saw it probably like two weeks ago and it was a gentleman in Michigan who had three pounds of marijuana on him and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Oh my God. And yeah, yeah. I mean, when you hear things like that. Now, let me be very clear. When you have three pounds of marijuana on you, you probably are going to sell that. So I, I, I'm not saying that's what his intention was. I'm just going to assume. True. But <laughs> does three pounds of marijuana constitute a full lifetime? Because that's what 40 years is. Yeah. I, I at this time am 45. That would mean 40 years in prison. He would, he would have to serve. He has already served 27. My question then comes is, legislators, why is this man not released? Why is he still in prison? Because it is, again, disproportionately, you have, you know, for marijuana, uh, uh, you know, a, a higher incarceration than, it just, it just makes no sense. It just really makes no sense to me. And so, to me, that you know, this is the ills. These are the these are the reasons. I go back to, I say these are the reasons why we have a lot of the problems we have now um, because of the equity. 
and we're hoping that, you know, we, we can do something about that. Yeah. You know, and we, we're actually doing a raffle right now with last prisoner project. So our last episode was, was with them and, and going through the disproportionate impact on black and Brown communities. And it's, it's not just getting arrested, but it goes all the way through the system in, in the amount of time and the sentences and the releases. I mean, the whole system is, excuse my French, but it's fucked. And um, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think every single cannabis company out there should be doing at least something, even if it's just donating some money um, or even just uh, raising awareness. Um, and so, you know, I guess to move into just more of the cannabis industry as, as an African-American man in the industry, have you faced a lot of roadblocks or challenges because of the color of your skin? And, and could you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah. So that's an interesting. So, I mean, I'll just take your, your question as is, you know, roadblocks and challenges because of the color of my skin. The, the interesting thing about um, discrimination, and I think any uh, woman can, can attest to this, or most you know, professional women can attest to this, is that discrimination is never a straight line. And so despite um, best efforts and qualifications and things like that, discrimination does not come as, well, I am not hiring African-Americans or I am not capitalizing African-Americans. It comes as um, mentorship, right, and not money. <laughs> or it comes as advice and not uh, advice, you know, advice and not advocacy, you know. Um, so what the biggest hurdle we've experienced, uh, or I've experienced in this is really been, um, you know, the lack of capital that is out there specifically for, um, and I, I would say the lack of capital that, that is, that is out there that is, that is looking for diversity. Um, many, many times uh during our raise and we're still in the process of raising funds you know we've had to put other consultants in front uh in order for us to get through the first door right mm -hmm. um and that's that that is the, you know that's just the unfortunate reality and 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 as i said it's never overt but it's definitely uh present the way that we consistently work through that is you know, one, we know what we're doing is valuable. We know what we're doing is the right um, step towards, uh, you know, within the industry. We know that what uh, we know that we have uh, established a great team. And so I, I am I am a I'm a I'm an eternal optimist. I, mean, I guess there there lies where why we have eternal hemp. I'm an eternal optimist. And I believe that as these as as these issues come to light, in terms of people seeing less and less of, you know, black and brown um, men and women involved in the cannabis industry uh, come to light. I mean, I, I saw when I first got started, uh, really looking into the industry. You know, I define myself as a man who happens to be an African American or black. Uh, that's how I define myself. You know, unfortunately, the world doesn't always see it that way. Um, and therein lies some of the issues or some of the challenges that we have. But as I started initially looking into the industry in terms of statistics, I mean, I come to find out that there's less than 
than less than 5% of all licensee holders are African-American or black. I mean, that, that to me is an embarrassment in that over 80% of the incarcerations uh, are disproportionately black and brown, you know, so uh, due to the war on drugs or due to drugs in particular, you know, uh, due to uh, marijuana. So to answer your question, that, that was kind of a long way of answering it, but, you know, yes, we have, you know, it's, it hasn't been, um, it hasn't been a straight shot in terms of uh, raising capital and we've had to utilize unique sources, but, you know, we keep on innovating. I mean, the one thing that, uh, you know, uh, the, my, my, my idol in this world in terms of outside of my, my father, um, is a man by the name of Reginald Lewis. Reginald Lewis was a um, one of the first uh, black businessmen to do a leverage buyout of significant sale. He bought Beatrice Foods for over nine for nine hundred sixty million dollars uh, back in the early nineties. And Reginald Lewis has this great line. He said, "Keep going, no matter what." And he just says, "Keep going, no matter what." And so, me as an as a black man, I. I just keep on hearing Reginald Lewis in my head and saying, you know what? Okay, so you close the door for some odd reason, you know, whatever the excuse is, uh, you know, we're just going to keep going and we're going to readjust, readjust, readjust and just keep going. And so, you know, it's unfortunate because I think the industry is missing out on a significant amount of opportunity, uh, quite, quite honestly, to communicate and innovate. And what I mean by communicate is communicate from a social impact standpoint, and then to innovate in terms of there are just different ways that different communities uh, utilize this plant. And whether it be smoking, vaping, et cetera, I mean, these are very different communities. And so I would think having a more diverse um, set of people in the room making those decisions or discussing uh, you know, different strategies would only improve the community, improve the industry. Um, but I believe we're on the right path. You know, again, I'm always an eternal optimist uh, that we are on the right path to making that change and turning that corner. And quite frankly, washing that stain um, from the, uh, you know, that stain off of that the cannabis industry currently has. Yeah, you make a great point. And it's something I, I talk about a lot is, you know, just not understanding why any industry would not want to be more diverse. And right. I mean, I, I really do think, and, and you're right, especially in cannabis, which is a medicine that people use in a lot of different ways. I mean, just having all those different perspectives can only benefit the industry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't Absolutely. see a single bad part, like downside to that, but. Say again. Um, I've also, I've, this is not the first time I've heard um, from a person of color that funding has been a, bit, been a big issue. And, you know, I think there's a lot of small fundamental things like that that are holding people back. Mm -hmm. and, it's, uh, and it's holding the industry back. You know, um, we come with a very unique perspective. I mean, you know, we are quite conservative in terms of how we operate our business and even how we think of kind of the ecosystem. And we, we do that intentionally. We do that because of our, our education. We do that because of our job experience. We do that because we've seen the, we've seen the, the issues in the past. Um, but it, it's, 
you know, there, there are just inherent biases within the industry that I really, I hope and pray that we will get over those because there's too much, there's too much opportunity out there with this market. I mean, there's really a, an amazing amount of opportunity. And I, I'm not even really talking about it on the recreational side. If you just think on the medical side, the medical side and the consumer service brand, you know, you know, it, it is, uh, or, or the consumer goods uh, um, industry. I mean, there is just an enormous amount of, in, uh, of opportunity. And you think of just in terms of brands, you know, end brands, user B to, B to C type brands, you know, um, there's just different ways in which people utilize things. I mean, a perfect example, Carol's daughter is not like Maybelline, is not, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you go and you get Horizon milk versus, you know, whatever, lactate, whatever. I mean, it's just different. You have different segments that are that are speaking kind of to the same, in essence, product. But the reason why you wish to diversify to some degree is to why not capitalize on the opportunities that are out there? And quite frankly, having more diversity and um, capitalizing companies like myself and others is, I think it's just a good bet. Historically, um, most uh, uh, historic, like for example, historically, female-owned businesses typically outperform, uh, you know, their male counterparts, right? I mean, so to me, why wouldn't you invest only in females? I mean, if that if your if your job is to make money, meaning you are an investor, then why would you not do that? <laughs> I mean, that seems to me that you wouldn't be doing your job if you you know if you weren't looking for that specifically or you know just things of that nature so it, it, it baffles me it just baffles me why that is but uh you know we keep going forward yeah well and i love your eternal optimism i'm the same way and i just keep thinking you know we just keep getting the message out there like it is going to get better so i hope we're right <laughs> me too <laughs> um so Finally, I guess to, to close things off a little bit, could you share with us one piece of advice for somebody aspiring to be a cannabis entrepreneur or just to get into the industry in general? Uh, yes. So there's a, you know, there's, there's always, I would say preparation is the key. You know, a lot of times when we first entered into this, we looked at this as, okay, it's the gold rush, you know, let's just get in and whatever. And we, you know, we, we, we come from, uh, you know, having each, my partner and I, we both owned our own companies in the past and we've either sold out of them or, or uh, either just dissolved them. Um, and the one thing that, you know, we came in thinking, okay, well, we could just grow something and we'll just go and you know whatever and and we started off with that when we first got introduced to the idea and we realized that you know the refining of the idea is critical i mean we really need to sharpen the pencil so what i would say to anyone in this industry um where we have had success has been very focused on solving an issue and a specific issue that you believe and you have some facts to back that up, of course, that you believe is occurring within the marketplace. And for us, it was the supply chain from the strain to the business client 
who therefore then is going to utilize that to go to their end consumer, whoever, whomever that may be. But we knew we could sit within that, that realm of the industry and solve that issue. And so my advice is really identifying the issue that you wish to solve um, and, and, and then from there set out to solve that issue. Do that, do that well, and then branch off as necessary. You can create streams out of that one solution, but really do that, do that first. So that would be my piece of advice on that, uh, on that standpoint. In terms of, uh, and I'll speak specifically to people of color in this, um, which although this does um, apply to everyone, really, you know, do the work to know the numbers because the industry is quite fluid. And so therefore, understanding the cost, understanding what your inputs and your outputs, I spoke about that earlier, understanding your inputs and your outputs are critical to maintaining um, a successful business. I mean, that goes across any industry, but in particular in this industry, because unlike a commodity like a soybean or a corn or wheat or whatever, this is completely, the prices are not regulated. So therefore, knowing your cost and maintaining your cost is paramount to the success. I mean, there are, the, the road in the cannabis world is unfortunately littered with many companies who could not maintain their costs. And so I would say, you know, I know you asked me for one, but I'll give two. One thing is really focus on the problem, solve for that problem, and then from there branch out. And then two, really understand your inputs and your outputs from your cost to what your end client is, you know, just really understanding who are you servicing, et cetera, so that you, uh, you don't get distracted uh, with all the shiny new things that happen within this industry. And there are tons of them, but <laughs> True. stay focused. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your insight, for telling us about Eternal Hemp, for doing what you're doing in general, especially um, for returned citizens, and for giving us some advice. Michael, I really appreciate this whole conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it too. I really do. Um, this has been great. Yeah, I mean, keep doing what you're doing because I think the industry needs, I, I, my partner and I talk about it all the time, the industry just needs clearly, clear advocates um, just to really get us unstuck, you know, really get us, get us unstuck. And uh, I appreciate that you're doing that consistently with pure dedication and, and really a lot of love. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, um, until next time, and, and all the links and information is also going to be um, underneath and on a blog post on our website as well, so you can find everything about Michael and Eternal Hemp. Thanks again, Michael. I can't wait to talk again sometime. Great. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too.